30 seconds, he says, right as Dan starts the recording. God damn it. <laughs> that almost makes it better. Don't fall over. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna do it one more time. Hopefully, one of them is good. RPGBot.News. I'm Randall James, and with me is Tyler Kamstra. Hi, everybody. And Ash Eli. Hey, guys. Uh, what song is that again? Uh, yeah, that, yeah it's a little spooky yeah it's gonna be topical we'll come back to it <laughs> so tyler uh what are we doing on the news today well today we're gonna talk about the y files <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, no the truth's out there that's all i'm saying <laughs> so paizo has recently released another major supplement for pf2 uh dark archive so Dark Archive is the supplement for all things spooky, otherworldly, supernatural, and uh, out there in general. So this is a, a book full of, like, ghosts and, and cryptids and, like, time distortions. And, yeah, like, it, it, if you took the X-Files into a fantasy setting, here you go. Okay, so 100%, like, as I'm reading the book, so there's the two classes, and we're going to talk about that. They're great. But when reading the rest of the book, I'm like, this is like Monster Week from the X-Files, and it's reminiscent of my childhood, and I love it. In a lot of ways, yeah. Okay, so I want to paint the picture, right? There is the Pathfinder Society. We all know, we all love the Pathfinder Society. Uh, Tyler, do you want to describe the Pathfinder Society? Corporate, industrialized murder hoboism. Okay, so basically the FBI, we can all agree. Uh, 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 a little more grave robbing. Let's not say anything that gets us put on a watch list. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) That's good. That's good. Okay. But uh, the Pathfinder Society looked at the Dark Archive, which was just a small subset of Pathfinder Society, like exploring the occult, seeing what's weird that's out there. Um, There's a great part of the book. You know, it's written from a character's perspective who participated in the Dark Archive. And it's like, well, if we're going to describe paranormal, we must first describe what is normal. And then whatever is, whatever is paranormal is sitting outside of that. And it's, yeah, you know, it's, it's Spooky Mulder sitting in the basement with, you know, his little mystery folders. And, uh, you know, yeah, the man's trying to shut him down. Pathfinder Society's like, nah, we're not doing this anymore. So Mulder just stole all of the case files. Pretty much, yeah. And, yeah, that backdrop 
really establishes the premise for the book because in a game where like wizards and eldritch horrors are like no that there's stats for those they're right there like what is supernatural and yeah it, it does a pretty good job explaining it basically stuff that can't be neatly categorized into like schools of magic or clean monster classifications basically anything that falls into those weird gray areas slightly outside of the stuff that's easy to understand supernatural quote unquote uh so that includes you know cryptids like we said and basically each chapter in this book is dedicated to some specific set of things that are supernatural so in order cryptids conspiracies secret societies cults magic packs mirror worlds time anomalies and any one of those things is neat enough that it could probably be its own book or at least its own episode on the (laughs) x-files certainly so so yeah let's run through in a high level talk through what's in the book uh so one we have two new classes we have the psychic and the thaumaturgist just thaumaturge. Thaumaturge, not a ist. Okay. No, that's yeah, fair. I, <laughs> I keep getting it wrong and mixing it up with theurge and like, yeah, the thaumaturge. We'll get there. Yeah. One of these days. Thaumaturge. I think I got it now. Uh, there are six one shots uh, where they say it'll take you maybe one to two sessions to kind of get through the whole thing that span levels three through 12. There's a whole bunch of feats tied to the occult. Uh, and then there's, yeah, as Tyler called out, there's a bit about like, well, how would we create cryptids? You know, so there's a bit of a recipe for how to go back and create these things, how to handle the the giant list of things that Tyler just listed. So our, our conspiracy theories, secret societies, on and on and on. Uh, yeah, I feel like there's a lot of really good stuff in there. It's a very, very dense book. Like there is a lot packed into a fairly small page count. Just character options, wall-to-wall, DM options, story. Yeah, those those one-shots aren't quite enough to be a full campaign because like there's some level gaps and they are fairly short. But the fact that they run such a large level range and they're basically in, like I don't want to call them an afterthought, but they're in there as like micro-fiction that would be in other RPGs where it's like, okay, here's some story that ties into this. No, instead of just being like, here's a couple pages of micro-fiction, you get to play it. It's great. So. Yeah, there's something in here for everybody. There's so much to play with. It's it's a really dense, really exciting book. It's almost like a a second player's handbook in and of itself in terms of its length. It's like 200-something pages. It's insane. Yeah, in terms of length, definitely. Yeah. So I, I want to pose the question, is this Pathfinder's uh, first exploration of the occult? In this edition, yes, but overall, no. So in first edition Pathfinder, there was a supplement called Occult Adventures that introduced a lot of things that came back in Dark Archive. So Occult Adventures was the book of the supernatural and spooky. Um, It introduced a lot of things which have made their way into second edition Pathfinder. Um, They introduced new components for spells, the emotion and thought components, and Like, those were the first indications that we were going to get this huge tag system in PF2. So, like, that built into things. The concept of undercasting spells was a thing for the first time. And that was, if I remember the timeline right, that was before we got 5th edition. So, like, upcasting spells hadn't really come into the lexicon. I might have the timeline wrong on that one. Don't quote me. Uh, There was a system for psychic duels, which was basically, like, a a one-on-one brain fight. Uh, I hated those rules, but they were there. And then we got a whole bunch of... 
<laughs> look, I don't like everything in all of these games, unfortunately. Uh, and then we got a whole bunch of new classes. Um, the Kineticist, which if if you're a fan of Avatar The Last Airbender, there you go. Uh, the Mesmerist, which was basically a hypnotic gaze as a person. The, <laughs> the Medium, which is just, I have a pet ghost. The Occultist, which uh, basically the PF1 version of the Thaumaturge, like, I can do some magic, but I'm mostly about these weird spooky items I'm collecting. And then the psychic, which same name in PF2, it was basically a sorcerer with a very, very narrow skill set. So a lot of these concepts have made their way into the Dark Archive. Small correction. Uh, I believe medium was uh, the one that sh- was basically allowed to shift classes all the time. And then spiritualist was the one with the, the pet at ghost uh you know i may have had that wrong i believe you were correct gotta keep you honest shame on me i i went and looked it up too dang <laughs> <laughs> at least we don't have to put it in the corrections episode because we did it live <laughs> <laughs> i know cool. that somebody would add us if we didn't get it right so yeah <laughs> good 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 <laughs> just save them the trouble actually what you've done somebody was mid-tweet now they're like all right fine backspace 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 hey. um actually <laughs> to all of those people out there sending us messages with corrections i do actually enjoy those thank you oh <laughs> yeah and one day we're gonna acknowledge you i <laughs> I do always send back a nice message saying thank you. Like a lot of part of the a lot of the quality control on the website is people telling me like, hey, you've got a spelling error, or like this link's broken. Like, thank you. I do sincerely appreciate all of the help with those corrections. Nerds are uh notoriously understanding people when it comes yeah. to errors. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about some errors. Let's talk about these new classes. Yes. Uh, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. The new classes are awesome. <laughs> How dare you? How dare you, sir? Just out of the gate. Yeah. No, the, the new classes are great. Like they're, they're awesome. The concepts are so neat and they're implemented super well. Um, I haven't found any massive rules issues or abuse cases. I haven't been looking super long. Bear with me. I'm sure I'll find something. But For sure. Yeah. So let's start with the psychic, because alphabetically it's first. So it's a full caster, kind of. Um, you can be intelligence or charisma based, which is kind of unique because most spellcasters in Pathfinder, like you have one key ability score. Like wizard, it's intelligence, cleric, it's wisdom, sorcerer, it's charisma. So like you're you're locked into that. But the psychic you get to pick, which is neat. And and if I understood it correctly, right? There's there are four you know, in 5e, we would call it a subclass where you pick one of these things and there are two for if you take intelligence and two if you take charisma. Yeah. So the psychic subclass thing is actually kind of neat because there's the subconscious mind and the conscious mind. So you essentially get two subclasses that you get to mix and match. So you get this like weird grid table of making a character that you want. It's it's really cool and it's it looks like it works really well. Yeah, you can make some really interesting character concepts with them. Uh, uh, basically, the subconscious mind is uh, uh, how you get your power, essentially, like where your power comes from, either from formal training, from your own emotional state or your imagination, or from uh, relating to others and stuff like that. And then the conscious mind is how you focus those powers. So there's one for like, you know, you focus on telekinetics, you focus on manipulating energy and forces like either increasing energy or reducing energy or um, 
I forget some of the other ones, but there's a bunch. There's like five, I think. Yeah. Oh, oh manipula- manipulating people's minds, like either to read their minds or to soothe them or something like that. And uh, all of them have their own spells and abilities. And it's all, you can make a really unique character. Like no two psychics will, will be the same. If you want an easy comparison, like if you're thinking, oh gosh, that's that's too many subclasses if there's two of them per character, think of it like the the make and model of your car. So it's like a, I have a Ford um, sedan. Fiesta. Say Fiesta. Sure, I have a Ford party. Um, <laughs> yeah, Ford Fiesta versus like a, a Ford F-150. So you've got, like you can mix and match there to get exactly the character you want. And yeah, there, there's enough diversity of options that you could play a ton of psychics and never have them be the same character. Although I'm going to poke at that analogy, it'd be very difficult to get a GMC Fiesta. That's why I went for like the style originally. So it's like <sighs> Ford sedan, Ford pickup, but it, I ruined it. No, that's a good point. Door. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look, you wanted a Ford party. I can't blame you. <laughs> that's fair. Okay. Uh, cool. Notably, they do work a little bit differently from other spellcasters. The psychics, big emphasis really is on their cantrips. So just as an example, Mage Hand. Uh, if you play D&D or Pathfinder, you're probably vaguely familiar with what Mage Hand does. Creates a little magic hand that can pick stuff up. Now, the Mage Hand generally can't pick up stuff that's super heavy. In D&D, it's like five pounds. In PF2, it's something with light bulk, quote unquote. So that's like a cup, a potion, a dagger, a small weapon, something like that. Uh, One of the psychic subclasses makes you really, really good at mage hand. So you can pick up things that are up to one bulk, which is like a chair, a small table, a very small creature, like a, a house cat if you need to run full speed while carrying a house cat. Eventually you get the ability to make a whole bunch of mage hands, grab someone and move them around. So like... There's cool stuff that you get to do beyond what you can do with a regular cantrip, and a lot of times you unlock those by spending focus points, which are, they essentially recharge on a short rest if you're coming from 5e. So I, I want to ask about this. As somebody who hasn't spent a ton of time in, in Pathfinder 2nd Edition, there were pieces of this that reminded me of different spellcasting classes from 5e. So the idea of using focus points to uh, amp my spells to make them more powerful um, and to add kind of a, I'm going to use the word like a meta around <laughs> the magic. It felt a little bit, yeah, like meta magic with the sorcerers. Um, is there an equivalent of that already in 2E? Yeah, meta magic is already a thing. Um, you'll have a class feat, and then you will spend some action immediately before casting a spell to change the effect. So, like, reach spell lets you turn a touch range spell into range 30 feet. Okay. So, you spend an action and then you cast the spell. But this does work very similarly to 5e's metamagic, where it's just you you do it on the thing. It has a resource cost, but it's not like an extra action or something like that. And you can combine this with metamagic. I think the difference is, is that with metamagic, it, metamagic is supposed to be applied in a very general sense. It's supposed to, uh, like, you can use metamagic on any spell. Whereas amps, there are specific, um, there are specific features for each of your cantrips that are used for amps. So like you can't t- spend an amp like you, you can't you can't add the feature from mage hand to say like yeah. the psychic throw. Absolutely. So each each cantrip has like its own has, has its own amp features that are unique to it. 
Absolutely. And then in addition to that, there are some amp feats that, you know, explicitly say like you can actually replace any amp with this amp. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also, if uh, it, for those who are familiar with Pathfinder uh, and are interested, the psychic is what is a spontaneous caster, not a prepared caster. Yeah. So if you're coming from 5e, that's like your bard or your sorcerer where you know your spells permanently and you like you have that fixed list. Uh, it does work a little differently in PF2, but that's the easy comparison. Yeah. Uh, um, if you're comparing this to like the sorcerer in PF2 or any of the other spontaneous casters, I'd say this is probably easier to play since you don't lean quite so heavily on your leveled spells and it's more about your cantrips. So since you have those easier go-to options, this may be an easier spellcasting option if you want to play full spellcaster, but you're a little scared of sorcerers. So let's talk about the Thaumaturge. So notably, the iconic Thaumaturge, I believe, is the first, uh, the first official non-binary iconic character for Pathfinder. So in Pathfinder, every class has an iconic character who is like the definitive representation of this class. Um, the character whose name I am forgetting, I should have written it down. Mios. Mios, thank you. Yes, uh, Mios is the first of the first of the iconic characters who is non-binary, which is cool. It's good to see that representation. Uh, the class itself, it's a charisma-based martial class. So if you're thinking like charming fighter, basically. Now I I haven't quite figured out why it's not intelligence-based because like Mios Mios's whole backstory is that they spent their entire childhood being isolated and bookish, which generally doesn't translate into a ton of charisma yeah charisma does seem like an odd choice um i don't know i mean uh, one part of me thinks that it does make sense another part of me thinks well well, i don't know if it makes sense i think if they were gonna go with this whole idea of choosing abilities key ability scores like what they did with the psychic they should do it with this one too make us choose between intelligence or charisma that would make sense to me yeah so I, I guess I'll question the idea. So so a big part of the Thaumaturge, um, they have a particular lore skill, which is special. It's this esoteric lore. And the idea is in combat, they can analyze their enemies and they can understand the weakness of their enemies and how to exploit it. And those weaknesses come in two different parts, right? There's the mortal weakness. So literally like a werewolf who's vulnerable to silver. Um, and if I'm fighting a pack of werewolves, you know, succeeding on that esoteric check to recognize that one of the werewolves is weak against silver allows me to then apply that to everyone else. Um, there's also the personal antithesis, which is kind of a, for this creature in particular, I recognize that, like, I can take advantage of these things. And they, they do a cool thing with crit success to crit fail. Let's not step into it. But the bottom line is, this person is looking at the creature that they're fighting. They're looking back at all the study they've done, and they're saying, what about the the ethos of this creature or the character of this creature can I take advantage of? From that, I can recognize where you would say charisma is part of it because you're in the moment you're looking and saying, I know how to get one over on this creature. I'm going to do blank. <laughs> yeah. So okay. for, for those who want a simple sort of what is the fantasy of this class, I would say the Thaumaturge is kind of a monster hunter. With, 100%. with uh sort of um it relies on what are called implements so you get your powers from different artifacts 
that are it is very kind the best comparison i can make is like to a van housing type of thing so there are different implements that are kind of like your subclasses but you get three of them so there's like amulet lantern mirror uh chalice um weapon which is an implement apparently (laughs) um it's it's weakness is swords yeah um (laughs) And they all have different effects. Uh, and you can, and this again comes back to like, it's a very customizable sort of class and no two thaumaturges are going to be exactly the same because you can pick and choose not only which implements you have, because you get three of them, but uh, certain, uh, as you reach certain levels, you get what, you start with the initiate feature of your implement and then you get adept and then uh, paragon versions of those implements and you can you doesn't have to be your first implement that you get you don't have to go paragon all the way for your first implement you can pick your second implement to make paragon bring all the way to paragon i believe you can't do your third but you can do your first (laughs) or your second um so it it makes for a really unique sort of character and and you called out like van helsing is maybe a good example i mean the one that came to mind immediately when i was reading it was thinking the witcher yeah, right. I've got a potion for everything. I've got I know whether I need to use my my iron sword or my silver sword, like all of these things. Yeah, 100 percent. Like you, you could kind of wrap that idea of a character into this character. One of the things I, I really enjoy about the characters, they really, really want you to hold an implement in your offhand, like weapon in one hand, implement in the other. Like, yeah, they give you a class feature that's just here's plus two damage on your attacks per weapon die. Don't use a two-handed weapon or this goes away so it's like they're very insistent on exactly how you should equip this class it works and you should do it anyway but like they give you a ton of extra damage for for uh leaning into how they want you to play the class i mean i guess the 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 only exceptions would probably be amulet which doesn't require you to have it i guess uh well it does require you to hold it maybe (laughs) but maybe weapon (laughs) (laughs) ironically you don't have to hold the weapon to use it no (laughs) no i mean like the weapon doubles as your weapon so yeah (laughs) i'm carrying two implements both swords (laughs) cool well let's talk about some of the other stuff in here because like we got the two classes and they're a lot and they're real cool but there's so much other stuff for characters in here uh news episode we try to keep these kind of short so like we're not going to go into super detail on everything but like there's so much in here uh aftermath feats it's a system of feats that you can only take after your character has had some experience most of them involve almost dying there is one for dating or having a party with an azata which is uh it's um think like an angel with a snake lower half it's like very specific we've all been there yeah, um, yeah, some of them are really goofy, like uh, the one for oozes. You become transparent, and then uh, uh, then there's the one for undead that lets you eat other things' life force. So you know, yeah. wildly different tone. Yeah, wh- one more. So my favorite was actually if you save the life of a fae, um, you then gain certain benefits. But if you die too many times, you become a fae lost. Uh, not in the fae wild. What what is it called here? I think it may still be called the Feywild. Oh gosh. In the Feywild, you're lost. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but it's it's basically, yeah. Um and, and there's like a special ceremony where 
your the rest of the party has to throw a three night bender, like a <laughs> festival in your honor, with items offered on an altar that would like celebrate your life, and then a party the rest of the time, in order to get you to come back, and you know be not dead. But if you come back, you were now a fae. I just want that to be like the raise dead ritual for every. Well, like that's, a, I'm <laughs> every like, that's a hell of a retirement plan, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> I need you guys to throw me a three day bender party to get me come back to come back, or I'm retiring. <laughs> so it's up to you. Yeah. yeah, we all have to make sacrifices here. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Let's see. So there's also feats around cryptids, weirdly only for rangers and druids. I haven't figured that one out, um, but they t- let you do cool stuff like. I'm a ranger and I've just emerged from hiding and I'm blurry. Like uh, some of these feats are really cool. You can get an unseen animal companion, which is basically what if my animal companion was also a rogue. Uh, There's some new occult skill feats that let you do some like weird voodoo stuff like crystal healing. Uh, there, there's a whole system of deviant abilities, which are class feats that are like something weird has happened to you, or you've been subjected to magical experiments and you can do stuff like shoot lasers or breathe fire or (laughs) cool stuff like that. Like if you want to give your character superhero abilities, or if you're like, I really wanted to play Wolverine and PF2 for some reason, there you go. Yeah. There's a lot of really cool stuff here that can make a really unique character. And I think those feats are open to literally any class with with DM permission. So like there's there's just a ton of options added for literally everybody. Uh, There's there's a new versatile heritage. Um, There's a new versatile heritage called reflection. It's like you are a clone or you popped out of a magical mirror. Uh, You can be your own evil twin. You could be the good twin. (laughs) <laughs> yeah actually they have a sidebar in there for like what if you want to be the good twin it's like this, yeah. this mage has been conquering the world but we have yeah perfect <laughs> there's some new variant domain spells for clerics that are basically like what if i worshipped this deity so much that he gave me magical powers but i was still a heretic uh there's a new patron for witches called pacts which is um the concept of a patron is already very transactional, but what if it was purely transactional? <laughs> what if it was like, fine, I'll teach you this new spell, but you're going to very explicitly do this thing to get it. Um, and then building on that, there's more class feats called bargained contracts, which are, I take a class feat, some other creature has a contract with me. In exchange for that contract, I get something neat, but that creature has a button that they can press to make my life miserable for a moment whenever they want. So the DM just has this button for like, uh, your character is now stunned or something. Like, eh, I've decided that you shall suffer. <laughs> wah, wah. <laughs> uh, there's a there's a time mystery for the Oracle, and then like scattered throughout the book, there are just spells and items and spells and items, and they're just everywhere. Like everything ranging from like a, a kit for hunting cryptids to uh, mugs with a false bottom. There's a spell that just is just what if time disintegrated? It's real cool. Yeah, take advantage of it. Yeah, there's a lot of cool stuff in here. If I had one major criticism, though, for Dark Archive, is it is not organized very well. <laughs> it is kind of a mess because <laughs> it's just like, rather than like saying, here's all the new character options, here's all the new feats, here's all the new spells, it's more of like, here's the classes, 
here's an adventure. Here's some features. Here's another adventure. Here's some more features. Here's another adventure. <laughs> so it's just, it's just like, it's so disjointed. And I wish that they would have taken another organizing editing pass at it. Like put the adventures all together in one section at the end. Put all the character customization stuff in its own section. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you're lucky enough to, to, to land on the right page, in a lot of the pages, they have a table where like, this table tells you what page to go to to find each adventure. Or this table tells you what page to go to to find each feat on this feat list. And they're organized alphabetically. First thing, you have to find those tables. Yeah. Aren't they just right at the back of the book? Uh, well, I'm talking about the tables that are, <laughs> that are like throughout. Like if you look at the oh, class, yeah. it'll give you, okay, well, here's the features in alphabetical order. Go to this page to find these feats for, for the psychic class, for instance. I, I agree with you guys. Like the, the organization does not make this a good reference book. I think they're leaning really hard into the fact that people are using the online SRD for actually looking up the rules. Like they're expecting people to buy this, maybe use the adventures, read it through once to learn the material, look at all the pretty art. But after that, if you're building a character or whatever, you're going to go to archives of this for sure. That makes sense. And I guess that does give them some familiarity familiarity that gives them some flexibility there to, you know, arrange things in a way that feels like they're telling a cool story. And, and I do think like that, I feel like for a lot of Pathfinder books, that's my takeaway is they're trading, presenting a resource as something you actually want to sit and read cover to cover, which let's face it is harder in, I think in other systems, but, but it, it does work in these books. And the trade-off is that when you just want to open the resource and use it as a resource, which is just go to the page of the thing you're trying to find it's often quite difficult. Yeah. Um, I haven't tested the index in this, but like in the core rule book, I have had just a heck of a time with the, you know, let me go to the index to find that a thing that I want that should be super obvious. Nope. <laughs> yeah. This is my, this has been my complaint for Pathfinder 2E from the beginning is that it, their books are just not organized very well. Yeah. Um, but they're fun to read. So that's they're, something. They're, fu- they're fun to read and they have great art and the system is really cool. Just organize it better. That's all I ask. <laughs> so I feel like we've made a pretty good argument for, like, if you're a player in Pathfinder 2, why you want this book. Uh, both the Psychic and the Thaumaturge are really cool classes. There's a lot of really awesome additional feats that you might want to add. Um, I want to talk about, if you're a GM for PF2, why you want this book. Yeah, there's, there is a lot of cool stuff in here for GMs as well. Uh, we talked about turning creatures into cryptids. So there's kind of a template system. You can basically take any creature, slap a template on that thing. It's a cryptid. Now, if you want a robot giant rat, you got it. Uh, if you want a mutant unicorn, there's art for it. It's terrifying. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it, it, it's going to haunt my dreams forever. <laughs> uh, it looks too buff. Have you guys noticed that? <laughs> It looks too yeah. bugged. Like, That's what's weird about it. What's what's like the creature at the bottom of the ocean with like the circular tooth mouth? Like it has one of those mouths, and it's like, why do you have that? Yeah. <laughs> what are you, um, you going to do with that unicorn? Cuttlefish? Is that I don't one? think I mean a cuttlefish. Uh, <laughs> either way, um, teeth and circles always bad. Just accurate. Step one, terrible. Yeah. But, but yeah, like the crypt, the cryptid templates are super cool. So the four that we get, right? Robot, mutant. Ancient and legend. I think I think it's actually called like rumored or something, but it's it basically describes a legendary creature. Um, 
I wrote legend in our show notes, so shame on me. But uh, like the rumored one is basically, you know why photos of cryptids are always blurry? It's because the cryptid is blurry. <laughs> yeah, and, and without ruining anything, like one of the adventures that they give you, um, it's a rumored creature, and the story for it is whatever the rumor is, the creature manifests as this. Oh, that's neat. So yeah, the, the shape of the, yeah, the, the shape of the creature is actually affected by the rumor. So you can steer the creature towards being one thing or another by getting the general population to believe that the creature tends to take this shape or tends to behave this way. You know, imagine a story where like I've got a uh, I have a house brownie and my house brownie is super <laughs> friendly and we get along great. And then people in my house start talking about it's like, oh, but the house brownie is stealing things. The house brownie's gonna start stealing things from you now. <laughs> so you've actually you've got to change the story, yeah. So it's essentially a tulpa, which is like I so don't know what that means. <laughs> a tulpa is a type of creature that gains its power through people's belief in it, and it gains its behavior, and it's uh, uh, like it it changes its behavior to suit the legends that are told about it. So, one hundred percent. That's yeah, exactly okay. what we're talking about. Yeah. 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 And so you could see, like, with that example, these cryptid templates are really cool because now you have all of the monsters that are available to you, but now you can add these modifiers that really change the way that they impact your story as a storyteller. And the cool thing in the book is you have multiple adventures that you can read to get inspiration about how you might add these things and tie it into the campaigns that you're running. If you listened to our episode on uh, Book of the Dead a while ago, the template system basically works the same way. So like book of the dead, let you turn basically anything into a zombie or whatever. So if you wanted to have like a zombie cryptid horse, combine the templates. Uh, Oh, there's also a template for secret society members, which I looked at and thought, I want to put this on a dog. And it has a little footnote saying, please don't put this on beasts. (laughs) (laughs) Foiled again. Yeah. (laughs) It's like like they called you out specifically. Tyler, Tyler, stop it. Uh, like i mean the fun police aren't going to come and kick down your door if you want a dog cult to be a a plot point sir they asked nicely (laughs) you know what just i want a dog cult as a plot point now i I said it i can't let the idea go it's gonna happen okay all right all right everybody write that down Yeah, so I think there's really is good stuff for GMs. I think it's great if you're a player in Pathfinder 2. I like the book a lot. Uh, And yeah, I'm looking forward to my next X-Files campaign. (laughs) Yeah, it's a really good, it's a really great book. The the only gripe I have about it is the organization, but the content is superb. If you've enjoyed the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcast and rate us on Spotify or your favorite podcast app. It's a quick, free way to support the podcast and helps us to reach new listeners. You'll find links in the show notes. You'll find affiliate links for source books and other materials linked in the show notes, as well as on RPGBot.net. Following these links helps us to make the show happen every week. The zone of truth is out there. Too much? No, it's good. It's solid. I like that a lot. <laughs> I can feel like we're just picking on Ash today. Too many dad jokes. <laughs> 